1: episode number 39 of that one time on tour is brought to you by the band pushing veronica self-described as ball pit rock pushing veronica hails from los angeles california the berserk garage punk alternative rock power pop quartet brings a youthful and spirited approach to every show they play and every song they record the band is currently writing and recording an album with producer brian Steele medina of gemini syndrome to be released in the summer of 2019 for more information on the band please check out at pushingveronica.com instagram at pushing veronica band twitter at PushingVeronica, or on facebook forward slash pushing veronica now here it is their new single angsty teen song
2: Why does every hot girl with a camera think she's a photographer? Filtered blurry pictures are not art she's just an amateur But I still like every single picture she puts on her wall She won't even have me as a friend and she declines my call i loser with guitar Think he's gonna get a girl Why the songs don't make you a rock star And hey, you're still a nerd I bet that you'd rather I was gay Go shopping at the mall Rather than I just lit a little bitch Crying you all these
0: songs
2: Get it up Hey, you the you to I'm just a modern reject singing my angsty teen
0: song. Ready for a head-bangingly good time? Dive into the world of heavy metal with the brutally delicious podcast. Here, we don't just talk music we welcome you into our heavy metal family. Join us for candid chats with legends and rising stars. We go beyond the typical interviews, exploring raw emotions and the life altering impact of heavy metal. So whether you're a diehard metal head or just curious, join our family and let the headbanging begin with the brutally delicious podcast. (laughs)
3: This is Ricky Rocket from Poison, and you're listening to That One Time on Tour with Chris Swinney. One for the gold,
2: cause it's going on and on. We'll be driving through the darkest night until the break of dawn. We'll be heading for the cities, another show for us to play, to get back in the back
1: it again hey guys and girls what's going on this is Chris Swinney I am your host for that one time on tour. This is my podcast where I get to sit down with someone in or around the music industry and have a killer conversation. And uh, they're always pretty killer. I don't think I've had one that I haven't liked yet. So thanks for checking out last week's episode with Mr. Matt Penfield. I had a wonderful time with Matt. Hopefully we'll have him back in the future. But today, today is special. Okay, I got to sit down with Mr. Ricky Rocket from Poison. Yes, that Poison. It was so much fun. We, we talked about all kinds of stuff from the beginnings of the band when they when they first came out to Los Angeles, when grunge happened and what that did and like, you know, the beef between them and Guns N' Roses. And we, we talked about all kinds of stuff. So uh, I hope you guys are going to enjoy it. I Actually, I know you're going to enjoy it. So if this is your first time checking out the podcast, I know there's probably a lot of Poison fans that maybe don't know what this is all about. I talked to all kinds of people, man, like punk musicians, hardcore musicians, metal musicians, people that are comedians. Like, It doesn't matter. As long as they're somewhere in the entertainment industry, they can be on the show. So please subscribe, rate and review us in the iTunes store or wherever you check out podcasts. That really goes a long way to help the show. So yeah, thanks for checking this out. And I can't wait for you to hear my conversation. But as you guys know that are veterans of the show, I do need to pay some bills. So here we go. I'm going to tell you about my sponsors. Sticker Wolf. Sticker Wolf is an awesome place. They hook us up so much with cool stickers. They did the logo for the show any kind of graphic art design stuff that you need or stickers or anything hit them up at stickerwolf.com you can also find them on all the social media platforms at stickerwolf hit them up tell them that I sent you they're a great company and they will take care of you I also need to tell you about rockabilia.com. I'm sure that some of you guys out there are sick of hearing me talk about rockabilia, but they're amazing and I guarantee they've got poison shirts. So when you get done with this podcast, go on over to rockabilia.com, search for all their cool stuff, get a couple poison shirts, get a couple Pantera shirts, whatever you want, and at checkout, put in the promo code PCTOTOT, and you're gonna save 15% off your entire order. I'm saving you money. You're listening to this podcast and you're saving money. So shout out to Frankie and everybody at Rockabilia. So go check them out and support them. Last but not least, I do need to tell you guys about Muncie Music Center right here in central Indiana. It's a cool little mom and pop music store. You can check them out at 600 South Mulberry Street if you're local, or you can go find them online at munciemusic.com. Okay, so the business is out of the way. And I just want to let you guys know that in Indiana right now, it is damn cold. (laughs) We were supposed to get, let me see, this is Monday night when I'm recording this intro. By Wednesday, we're supposed to have like wind chills of negative 50. I... I don't know. I moved back to Indiana from the beach about two years ago, and I I'm not ready for this <laughs> negative 50. So uh, I I know a lot of you guys out there live in cold areas of the United States or in different countries where it's cold. I would like you guys to comment on Facebook or send me an email. Tell me the coldest it's ever been where you live. I know that I grew up here in Indiana. I moved away to the beach. And then I came back to Indiana when I had some children. You know, I wanted them to be close to family. But I don't ever remember a time in my life where negative 50 was a thing. It's got to be, you know, climate change or whatever you want to call it. Something is going on with the weather and I'm not stoked. Yeah, I want to know what it's like where you live, even if you live in like the most beautiful place in the world. So hit me up on, you know, Twitter, hit me up on Facebook, whatever. I want to know what was the coldest temperature that you actually made it through. You survived. You did it. And uh, I'll let you, you know, hopefully if there's no, you know, if there's no episode next week, then you guys know that I didn't make it through the negative 50 weather. But uh yeah, so it's it's cold. I want to make sure that you guys are following us on all of the social media platforms because we're really starting to starting to get some good stuff going. I hang out on Instagram a lot more than I hang out anywhere else. So make sure you're following us on Instagram or wherever. It's all the same. It's at T-O-T-O-T Podcast. And uh at the beginning of the show, you heard pushing Veronica. That's a new band sponsor. If you have a band or a company, you want to get involved. Hit me up, podcast at gmail.com. I'll give you all the details, and we'll figure it out. We'll make it happen. Also, if you guys want to help out the show, head on over to patreon.com forward slash TOTOTpodcast. And uh, call the hotline, man. It's uh, 765-372-8818. Leave us a message, and uh, I might play it on the show. I've played a couple in the past, usually at the end of the show. But if you want to say something to us, you know, say something, and I'll get it on the show for you. But that's about it. I am sick of time talking and it is freezing. You guys came to hear Ricky Talk. So, here it is. We're going to jump right into my conversation with Mr. Ricky Rocket from the band Poison. Here we go. And I'm on the line with Mr. Ricky Rocket from Poison. How are you doing today, Ricky?
3: Yo, how's it going? <laughs> just uh weathering this rain a little bit.
1: We just get we just got a foot of snow out here in Indiana, so I I wish we had rain.
3: Uh... yeah i gotta tell you i guess i would prefer that but (laughs) i grew up with it man from pennsylvania so
1: yeah that's uh that's kind of what i'd like to get into here at the beginning of the podcast I always ask my guests like uh, i know you grew up in pennsylvania what got you into music what was what were you listening to back in the day when it kind of spoke to you and you first started knowing that you liked music
3: um you know what there was a very specific event that happened um My sister is nine years older than me. And so it was bestowed upon her to babysit me. And she didn't want to deal with me. So the thing that she wanted to do was have me get in trouble so that she could send me to my room and she wouldn't have to deal with me the rest of the night. (laughs) That's what she that's what she liked to do. So she came up with a reason to get mad at me, send me to my room. And she felt a little bit bad, so she gave me her record player and three Beatles 45s. Wow. And I sat there and realized that I wanted to tap out Paperback Writer on the bed, and then I pulled out a phone book, and then a couple Lincoln Logs, and then, you know, and then I was building up my kit, and I spent a couple of hours doing eight days a week, and all those songs, you know, Paperback Writer, and nowhere man and stuff like that on my sister's 45s and at that point something seriously changed in me
1: that day and it it felt to you like drumming was what spoke to you as well there at the beginning
3: it did and i i was like you know then like uh a year later i tried trumpet because that's what my dad did and um i didn't really like that that much i mean i thought it's a great instrument don't get me wrong but um it just wasn't what i wanted to do And, um, I tried guitar for a half a minute and I just kept going back to drums. And so I just went, I'm a drummer. That's, that's what I am. And I've never changed my mind.
1: That's awesome. I can
3: play, I can play guitar. I can play bass, but I'm a drummer. Yeah.
1: So, uh, as far as poison goes, I know I was doing a little bit of research and I know that you had a band going called the specters, correct?
3: Oh God. yeah. Yeah. Was was
1: that your first band?
3: No, my first band is even better yet. My first band was called the GTOs.
1: <laughs> like the car? Yeah. Okay. cool. And
3: uh, I actually have a photo from that. I think I posted it on Facebook like maybe a year ago or something. And I'm still friends with the guy that was in the band. We were probably 10, 11, 10 years old, I'm guessing. And we all dressed up in suits and would invite the neighborhood and we'd perform on a picnic table for like 50 cents.
1: (laughs) That's awesome, man.
3: So yeah, I've been, I've been a a music hoe for a really long time. (laughs) So,
1: so that led you into the specters then, and that's where you, you kind of auditioned and got Brett in the band, correct?
3: No, actually, I think the next band I was in was, uh, you ready for this? Yeah. Igneous.
1: Igneous. (laughs) That's a very cryptic sounding band.
3: Oh dude. Molten rock. (laughs)
1: awesome man
3: (laughs) and yeah we did Kiss songs and Aerosmith and stuff like that and
1: so were you guys listening to bands like that you guys were listening to like the rock of the time
3: oh yeah you know Zeppelin and Kiss and Alice and uh all that stuff Martha Hoople and you know you name it yeah that's great man
1: so uh were those bands, do you think those bands maybe were a little less serious than what you ended up? Because Spectre, you know, from what my research, it seemed like that was like an actual kind of formed idea and you guys are really doing stuff and going out there and playing, correct?
3: Yeah, I think once, you know, I was in a few bands that did Battle of the Bands and stuff like that. But it's it's honestly when Brett and I met and we started to form those ideas uh, that uh, I, I started to figure out exactly what it was and who I was and what I wanted to do. And, uh, and, you know, uh, here's a, there was one guy that I grew up with, um, you know, uh, and we, we grew up playing together and we were in every band together. And it just got to the point where it was like, you know what, we just have grown apart. And, uh and, and I still haven't talked to that guy till today. And it's really a shame because he was like my best buddy. And, uh, but it's just that's how things happen, I guess, sometimes in life. But uh, so Brett and I went off and, and just started to, to do our own thing, you know?
1: Is that what, what became Paris? It is. Yeah. And Paris, I mean, you, you guys from like I said, the research that I've been doing online, it seemed like in the local area, at least the scene there in, you know, Harrisburg or wherever you guys were, it seemed like you guys had kind of eclipsed and got to the ceiling of that. Is that what led you guys to try to find a new place to live and try to get bigger?
3: It, it was. And a lot of people go like, how did you go from the name Paris to poison? But you have to understand in, in central Pennsylvania at that time and even in New York uh, in Philly there was most of the bands that were playing and out working and making money were new wave bands, uh, you know, like the sharks and, and things like that. And, um, you know, a, a name like Paris, actually, people would kind of think maybe we were new wave and, and then we'd come out and we'd rock, you know, we were like Aerosmith or something, you know? Um, but once we were out here, it was, we realized that Bob Welch had a band by that name and it, it just did, the name just didn't seem to fit who we were or anything. We we're like, what were we thinking? You know, boy not so much better, you know?
1: <laughs> Can you take me through like the decision and like the process of actually when you guys moved to LA, because I know you know, it's kind of folklore by this point. Anybody that knows anything about poison, like there wasn't a lot of money. It was kind of poverty at the beginning. Like, how was that time in your life? I'm sure it was exciting, but it was probably pretty scary as well.
3: You know what? There was, we played a lot. First of all, we played a lot in Maryland because the drinking age was 18 and we were younger. We had a younger audience and we were able to go into that State and play those clubs, and then when we played in p a we had to like rent roller rinks and things like that at v f w halls and you know how far were we gonna go with that um and we we opened up for a, a a band called the Sharks, and we opened up for kicks and there was one guy that uh helped get them a deal, and he was friends with a guy by the name of Tim Fowley, who was the producer of the runaways, and I'm sure he's very famous. Uh, you know, he's like sort of the Malcolm McLaren of the West coast, you know? And uh, so we uh, came out and it, we started to speak, talk with him. He wanted to bring us out and help out and sign us to his label uh, or at least manage us. And everything was happening out here for hard rock at the time. There wasn't really, it was just all new waves still, you know what I mean? And we weren't a new wave band. We just weren't. Um, so uh we decided to take the plunge if we were gonna if it didn't work out it was kind of like you know so we had a couple years on the west coast and we learned a lot of things you know whatever let's just try it let's yeah fucking go for it you know and we did and once we were out here we realized kim fowley was just freaking as genius as he was he was totally weird and he was controlling and he wanted to sign us to his stupid little private label and uh, make us into what we really weren't. Um, and, uh, by then we started to get a little bit of notoriety already and some people were interested in working with us. So we just kind of walked away from Kim. He wanted to kill us. He wanted to beat us over the head with crowbars and shit (laughs) he was leaving messages and stuff. And, but, uh, we finally buried the hatchet and, uh, and it was all good up until the day died, you know? Yeah. Uh, and that's sort of it. I mean, that's, that's really it right there. It took us probably six to eight months to pull the trigger and actually move out. Here. You know, we had yeah. to sell things and, you know, I mean, I had never lived away from home. Yeah, I was twenty twenty two 22 years old and I, I I was living in the house I was grew up in, you know what I'm saying? I mean, I was really wet behind the ears when I came out here, big time. <laughs>
1: So, uh, when you guys get out there, was that guy helping you get the shows or were you guys trying to book them yourself? What was the process of actually playing?
3: Only one, uh, he got us at, uh, Madame Madam Wong's West. That was the only show he ever booked us at everything else we did on our own after that.
1: And were you guys going out and like kind of punk rock style, like flyering and just like totally like self-promotion all the way?
3: Oh, totally. That's, that's what we live to do. Um, first thing we did was start shopping labels and we were getting turned down by everybody because we didn't have a following. So we're like, you want a following? We'll get a fucking following. And I mean, we went for it, man. Like that's all we live for is to just promote, promote, promote. Um, we did it morning, noon, and night. I mean, honestly, and we got up a hell of a following. And even after that, we still couldn't get a record deal.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So what led yeah. what led to actually before we talk about that uh one of the guys that went out there with you to L A uh, Michael I believe yep. his name your guitarist he ended up going back to Pennsylvania so can oh you, Matt yeah Matt Matt's sorry met. about that yeah yeah can can you explain to me I know you guys auditioned a lot of people can you tell me that day where you guys met CC and like how that kind of connected with you guys
3: well I know Brett had met CC before CC took one of our flyers and threw it in the ground. <laughs> And, and Brett, and when he walked in, Brett goes, I know who that fucker is. And I'm like, look, just give him a chance. Just give him a chance. He looks cool. Maybe he plays good, you know? Yeah. Um, so um, we were almost set on slash, you know, um, we, we were ready to pull the trigger with slash. Wow. And, uh, and, and it just CC made more sense for, he was more our sound, you know? Yeah. Um,
1: Alternate universe of slash was in poison. I wonder what that would sound like.
3: I don't know. It's hard to say. <laughs> yeah. You know, I like Slash. I think he's a good dude, you know, and we've always gotten along. There was that period where it was poison versus guns and roses, but I it, um I don't I, it was more Axel probably. Probably yeah. Uh, I, I can see and, that. Uh, and I I don't even really have a problem with Axel. I mean, it's Axel was the first was in the first band I ever saw out here. Wow. And I I thought he was fucking great. Yeah, he was in Hollywood Rose and uh I thought the band was great. Uh, Athena, who Tommy Lee's sister was one of our first friends out here. Uh the guitar player in that band was dating her. So uh she's like, "Man, you got to go see Hollywood Rose. They're a great band." So and, and it was Axel. And uh and his merry Men. I think um I think who else? I think I think Izzy Stradlin was in that band yeah. too. Uh but that's it.
1: Yeah, those guys are hoosiers. They're from my they're from my home state. So I, my that's, ho- that's right. My whole life you always hear that story about you know getting off the bus in LA and I, I wondered if it was like that for you guys after the drive. You like got out there and saw all the bright lights and it just was kind of wow, I'm in LA.
3: No, dude, we were freaked out because we you know, we pulled into West Hollywood. Okay. We didn't know West Hollywood from East Hollywood from yeah. regular Hollywood from North Island. We didn't know anything, so you know, we just pulled in and it's like, we're hungry. Oh, there's a hot dog joint. So they're like, oh, uh, Brett and Ricky will run in, we'll stay in the car. So we're walking over there and we had no idea that it was just Christopher Street West had just happened, which is a gay pride parade. Okay. And we thought that's what Hollywood looked like all the time. (laughs) And we're like, Fuck, man, this is culture shock here. Yeah, uh, yeah. Hold on a minute. I, I, you know, I'm born and raised in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania, right? I mean, You're <laughs> you are probably more, know, more used like, to seeing
1: Amish people than, than, than the gay pride stuff, right?
3: A little bit of that and a lot of fucking railroads, right? So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was like it, this was culture shock, even though, you know, we, we look crazy on stage, you know, um, but, uh, but we realized that that was not how it looked all the time. Um, and when we saw that landscape at night, uh, of just a sea of rock people, um, it was amazing. And I was like, yeah, I belong here. Like I literally belong here. I've I've come to heaven, you know?
1: <laughs> so you guys got CC in the band. What was the process of actually getting that first deal?
3: Well, we got a deal with, we, I mean, seriously, we got turned down by everybody. We got dragged along by Atlantic Records forever. Um, you know, Ken Austin tried to, God rest his soul, really tried to champion us, but his dad, Mo Austin, just wouldn't have it. He wasn't interested. And um, so then we're like, what are we going? <clears throat> what are we going to do? Everybody said no, and um, and Enigma Records said. Yeah, we'll give you a shot. We don't have a lot of money, but we're like, well, we don't either. So let's go for it. Yeah. Um, you know, so we put that record out and we did the first single, which was Cry Tough. Uh, we believed that that was the right, right single. And so did uh, Enigma. And it really didn't move the needle. Yeah. You know, um, we were out touring with, we opened for uh, Quiet Riot. Uh, it was big clubs and small, cl- and mainly mid, mid and and larger clubs. Uh, we were in a Winnebago, and uh, that was a really hard tour. Part of it was in the winter, um, and a lot of it was on the East Coast in the winter. And it was like, wow, what are we going to do next? Um, they said, look, we really can't do another video or single unless you get a tour. Then that would make sense. Yeah. And so we went, well, we want to get a tour. We want to get a tour. We had made enough noise and sold enough records just on all of that, that Rat said, this might be a good band to take out. So Enigma gave us another single and that single was Talk Dirty to Me with even less of a video budget
1: it was kind of live right i kind of remember the video was just you guys i mean it might not have been an actual show but it was like a live setting correct
3: it, it was just like whoever like if there's a bum standing outside bring him in let's party with the motherfucker let's just make this a little show i mean it, it, you know that's all it was it's like the camp you know we don't it, we didn't have time to change shots and keep the cameramen out of the shots yeah like that's how cheap that that was so we're like put them in it like just put everybody in it like let everybody know yeah this is a video i'm gonna change 10 times i'm gonna change (laughs) instruments let's just be silly let's enjoy it let's have fun with it let's it let the music be what it is
1: i just remember Um, all the all the neon colors i thought were really really cool
3: well we did a lot of uh silly string back in the day that was our thing we'd play clubs and we'd spray silly string we couldn't afford you know confetti machines and things like that so you know we'd go buy a couple dozen cans of silly string and that was our budget you know for 30 bucks you had a show you know yeah yeah um and uh and we got in trouble for that a lot uh actually and and that didn't you know we actually looked into like uh once we started playing like um Like you know, large shows, large theaters, and uh, hockey rinks and stuff. We were trying to figure out how we could do like some kind of massive silly string thing. (laughs) Like, no, I'm not kidding. Like, how could we do this? And it, I mean, we just never came up with anything. But um, (laughs) I mean, we wanted to hold on to that for a minute because that was kind of like one of the things that we did. We everything we did, we built ourselves totally. Soap built, like all our, like the screens of our amps, like me and Kent Holmes painted them and, uh, in the garage. And, you know, I mean, just everything that we did, we did pretty much ourselves. I think we hired a welder was the only thing we ever had going for us, um, uh, that, that we ever paid anybody for Yeah everything else. We. Was you did
1: the, like the kick drum, like painted, like I always remember seeing Ricky Rocket and Poison, like the old school pictures, not maybe like later on, but you guys always took care of that as well.
3: Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, later when you could afford people that could do it better than you, it only made sense to yeah. do that, you know, but, uh, you know, there was a certain magic to those days too, you know?
1: Yeah. So that, that record, you know, look what the cat dragged in was the debut. It ended up becoming multi-platinum like that. That second single came out, you know, that got big. How did that feel? Did you guys start to like see differences at the shows or were you like, were you guys doing more press? Like, how was that for you guys?
3: We did it. We did, we did start to do more press. and Most of the, you know, Enigma was, you know, there was a lot of punk rock acts on Enigma so a lot of those early interviews that we did were fanzines okay. and they, a lot of them were, you know, uh, sort of punk rock and, and, and new wave and alternative, uh, publications. So, you know, these people would come out and see us and they're, they they did not know what to expect. They're like, is this like a, a, a rehash of the glitter era? Like, am I going to see like a Bowie thing? Like, what are, what are, what are we going to see? We don't even know. Um, based on the pictures, it's, pretty interesting so we get like all these interesting people coming out and i think that really actually set a tone in la you know because now there was like two different groups of people coming together and i really think that a lot of those looks started to combine into other bands uh later too like jet boy and things like even though they were from frisco but you know i mean uh, there was just so much like happening right then you know And we did start to see an increase in the audience, but by the time LA started to change, we were like off all over the country, all over the world playing. We weren't really playing LA any more than a couple of times a year anymore. You know what I mean?
1: Were you guys still doing a lot of like opening slots or had you graduated to doing like full headliners by that point?
3: No, we didn't uh, headline until uh, you open up and say our record. uh, it, we went out with David Lee Roth for six and a half months, opened that, uh, tour. And then we went out and toured for a year on open up and say, ah, so it was 16 months tour on that record.
1: That's it crazy.
3: Yeah, it was insane.
1: So the, the open up and say, ah, record, I mean, there was probably some, some major pressure for that to do well. Did, did you guys feel that as you were writing and recording?
3: yeah it was really weird because we lost our management right at the beginning of that record um we caught our management at that time forging documents and we left that management firm and uh and you know we're searching desperately like what are we going to do like now we're like on our own and we have this record and how are we going to manage ourselves you know we were always insisting to enigma like this hands-off approach you know yeah and uh and all of a sudden we're kind of like on oh shit what do we do and howard you know we met with a lot of people we met with madonna's manager uh we spoke to shep gordon we spoke to a lot of people and um uh, howard kaufman ended up coming in and saying i've got a plan and this is how i would do it and we didn't love everything that he said because a lot of things he was saying were a lot of work and we had already done a lot of work and we're like whoa we just want to cash in for a month (laughs) yeah
1: totally right
3: (laughs) you know and uh no you can't do that right now and uh so you know there we were off to the races again and uh probably worked harder for the next several years than uh i ever have in my life
1: that's that's crazy man i mean and it worked because the second record is is your highest selling record i mean five times platinum that's crazy
3: I think it's more than that now. Okay, um, I, I don't know. That might be
1: that now. might be in the states or whatever. I'm not sure where I got that number. I looked on the internet.
3: <laughs> yeah, no, it went it went nuts, and, and it really, you know, and that's when things got crazy. You know, yeah, and money did start to roll in, and um,
1: what was the first thing that you did when you started getting like like you know the rock star money? Was there like did you buy a boat? Did you buy a car? What was like the thing that you wanted?
3: Well, you know what, the the I our management was kind of careful about how much money to divvy out right at the beginning. Yeah. Um, um. So, I think I put like fifty grand in the bank.
1: That's a good idea.
3: That was a huge amount of money, and you know, uh, I bought a a little MR2 and got a a townhouse, um, and th- and that was it, and that's you know pretty much what I lived on, and then eventually I bought a motorcycle because I love motorcycles and I still do.
1: Yeah. I see on your, on your, on your YouTube channel and whatnot, you're a big motorcycle enthusiast. I see that all the time.
3: I am the motorcycle evangelist. Yeah, totally. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So, you know, so I've been riding motorcycles like ever. well, I, I rode them when I was a teenager or I'm sorry, a pre-teenager uh, on a uh, Yamaha 60, but then I could, never afford anything yeah it's yeah. either a car or a motorcycle in pennsylvania you're better off with if you have to have one or the other you're better off having a car because you got to get to work in the winter You know? yeah
1: believe me i know that i'm dealing with that right now i spent me like two hours digging my car out yesterday so
3: right yes and in, in this country it's a it's a leisure time thing for the most part you yeah know? totally
1: man okay so so uh that record had great songs on it you guys had a lot of singles. I mean, what? so then you did Flesh and Blood. Was it still that same pressure because the last one did so well, or did you feel like you guys were so established it didn't really matter? Or does that stuff even bother you guys?
3: No, it did. And one thing that we insisted on doing was having a different producer for every record because we wanted people to realize that it was us and not the producer. Um, we, didn't, we didn't want uh, the, our career to sound like a producer's idea, yeah. Of our career. You know what I'm saying? And um like like, you know, Rat had used uh the same guy a couple times. And uh I mean Def Leppard was using Mutt Lang and you know, we would have loved to have used Mutt Lang, of course. Yeah. But um but you know, we sort of had a lot of pride in the fact that it was like, you know, we're still we're uh, let me try it in English. We're still <laughs> steering the poison ship, you know what I mean? Uh and that was important to us. Um You know, I think that Bruce Fairburn, that did that record, uh, is one of the best producers I've ever worked with. Uh, we've worked with some great producers though. I mean, I think Richie Zito is awesome. We didn't have a big hit with him, but I think part of it was the timing, uh, and the fact that we had a different guitar player. I also, uh, think Tom Worman, uh, you know, as it turns out, had magic that, uh, I didn't see at the beginning. Um, but, um, You know, Bruce Fairborn, God rest his soul, was uh, truly uh, a heavy hitter, you know.
1: So uh, you said timing might have mattered with that one producer. The next thing I want to talk about, because, I mean, everybody has, you know, the records, everybody knows Poison. When people talk about this all the time, when like Nirvana came out and grunge hit, everybody says, oh, it was kind of like, you know, the end of an era as far as like the glam metal or hair metal or whatever you want to call it. How did you guys take that? Did you guys think that it wasn't going to affect it? Or do you think that it just kind of, it changed the the, the atmosphere of what was going on in music? Did it affect you guys?
3: You know what? I, I, the, the, the best way to explain it is this. Have you ever been like in a room and you're siding with somebody? There's like a fight breaks out and you're like, yeah, that fucker deserves to get hit. He deserves to get punched in the mouth. And all of a sudden they turn on you and they're hitting you too. And you're like, whoa, 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 what happened? Yeah. Honestly, when Nirvana hit, I was kind of like, it's about time somebody comes along and knocks some of this shit music out. Because there was a lot of shit at the time. Yeah. There was a lot of good stuff too, don't get me wrong. But there was some crap too. And I was like, and then all of a sudden they turned on us too. People started to turn on us. Even though we had been evolving and changing anyway. Uh, pretty rapidly, as a matter of fact, uh, we feel. I feel. I think our whole band feels like the baby got thrown out with the bathwater. Like, why was that personal to Poison? Like, we were. What we did in nineteen eighty six wasn't relevant to what necessarily we were doing in nineteen ninety two and ninety four when all this started to change. You know what I mean?
1: Did you did you see like less people coming out the shows? I mean, I know album sales for everybody were, were different back in that time. But like, what was the first, like Nirvana came out and then did you automatically think, Oh no, we're in trouble. Or did you guys actually see like a decline at all?
3: When Nirvana came out, I was excited. I thought it was another cool band. I was like, fuck yeah. I mean, we had Alice and Chains open for us. Like we love those guys. Like we didn't see us as being pitted against the movement uh and and then, all of a sudden, we realized that we were yeah um, because we weren't from that town and we weren't from that same headspace and i I said, look i'm not gonna I'm not from that head okay, I'm from a very blue collar working uh part of the country, and that's that's what we still do, and we like to put on a fucking show like we're theatrical with what we do. I can't pretend to not be that guy, I'm not gonna do that I'd rather get out of music than go pretend to be something. And that's exactly what I did for a few years. I literally quit the music business and started a comic book company and said, I don't want anything to do with this. If you expect me to come in and try to be somebody I'm not, more power to those guys, but that ain't me. Um, So that's what I did.
1: (laughs) I I think that's the most punk rock thing of all. I mean, be honest, you guys liked doing what you guys were doing and there's i mean selling out is when you do change for somebody so i commend you on that man
3: oh totally um you know what i mean if i grew up in seattle and i lived next door to kurt cobain we probably would have been friends you know what i mean like his headspace was the same as mine as you know just do it yourself and go play and do all that shit You know, I may have liked this and he may not have. I don't know, but uh, I don't know. But, you know, you're influenced by the neighborhood that you grow up in and the people you're around and um, the, the social environment. And music is as much of a social movement as it is anything else. And the thing that's changed so much in music to me is that it is less of a social movement. A lot of people say music isn't political and that's the problem. It's not that. It's not a social movement like it was. And I would love to say, I mean, there hasn't been a social movement in music, like literally since like Marilyn Manson. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and, and before that, I mean, you know, if you go back to the punk rock era with, you know, the clash and, and the, and the sex pistols, I mean, that was a true social shift. Uh, it was really meaningful, whether you liked it or not, that wasn't what was important. The fact is, is that everybody was thinking about it and, and fighting it or fighting with it or you know, it was all this crazy stuff going on. And there hasn't been that in, in a very, very long time. And it saddens me.
1: Hey guys, pardon the interruption. This is Chris. I had to break into the action to tell you guys about Merge 4. Merge 4 is an insanely awesome, awesome company and they make socks. They make the coolest socks around. They have circle jerk socks. They have sublime socks. I just got a new pair of Foo Fighters socks. They are crazy and you're going to love them. They don't just have band socks. They have collaborations with artists, professional athletes. It is the coolest thing you've ever seen. So head on over to Merge4.com or hit them up on social media at Merge4 and tell them that Chris from that one time on tour sent you. Now we're going to get back to my conversation with Ricky. Here we go. I was going to ask you, I saw this. It's pretty cool. VH1 in 2012 ranked Poison as number one on their top hair bands of all time. Does that, does that make you feel cool? I mean, I think that's pretty awesome. How do you feel about being ranked number one? Oh, I
3: think it's awesome. You know, um, I, you know, I don't like the hair band moniker, although they said that about the Beatles they you know, they were the, the band with the bangs and you know i did you know david lee roth made a an a pretty funny statement one time that's almost true he said you know rock and roll's always been about haircuts and shoes and you know, yeah. in a lot of ways it is you know in, in terms of that that's the thing that changes and in uh, uh and the way people identify themselves but um yeah no i mean it's you know hell yeah um i mean i'm i i'm proud of, to wave that flag I think people miss the point if that's all they see in it,
1: but. Yeah. Well, I, I think pe- people always take one thing and latch onto it. I mean, even like we were talking about grunge, everybody talks about flannel. I mean, I think it's, they, they miss the point of the music and the fun and, and the message that was out there. And they just latch on to, Oh, you guys had crazy hair.
3: There was a lot of interesting things that were happening in that period in time. And not all of it was flannel. And, uh, you know, there was a lot of people that died uh, it, during that era that could have been very famous and could have changed the course of uh, of everything that happened coming out of that region. But you know, again, you're right. People grabbed sort of one aspect of it and did it to death, and uh, and then, of course, it died because of not sort of. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. It eventually, burn itself out over in that way.
1: So, with uh, you know, speaking of you know, quote unquote, hair bands and whatnot, the style that you guys and many of the other bands had that kind of talk about that, where did that come from? I mean, were you guys into Bowie? Were you into the New York Dolls? Like, did it just kind of feel natural for you to like package? Like you said, you like to throw a show. You're an entertainer. So is that where all of that stemmed from?
3: Uh, yes. I mean, you know, when Brett and I sat down to put a band together, um, we wanted to, we already knew what we wanted to hear. Okay. Because we'd been playing in a band together already. Um, we can only get the other members to do a few things, uh, visually. So we're like, what would we really like to see? And it's like, you know, you go to see a band and everybody looks cool and everybody's moving and everybody's like kind of entertaining in their own way. Uh, everybody plays as a team, you know, and now it's the singer, he's up front. Now it's a guitar player. He moves, You know, we had all this stuff in our head of how we wanted to, and we went out and looked for that, um, and looked to put that together. And so it was all our influences that we had at the time. What did we have to work with? We had ACDC to work with. We had Kiss. We had Van riffs. We had New York Dolls. We had the punk, post-punk movement. We had, uh, um. Just so much, really, to work with. I mean, b- b- everything from Bowie down to uh, the monkeys. I mean, there was... <laughs> God, you know, rock and roll has such a rich rich history to, to choose from. And uh, the best rock and roll has always been entertaining for me. Even the best country. I mean, uh, you know, arguably Johnny Cash is still the best country guy because he was fucking entertaining, right? Yeah, totally, man. Oh, I mean, <laughs> was he the best singer? No, he was flat sometimes, but... Like, so what? Like, it wasn't about that. You know, that's like, that's like, that's like beating up on Lou Reed, you know, come on. You know.
1: I think a lot of the times the best artists that, that connect the most with people, maybe they're not the most talented. I mean, look at the singing of Bob Dylan. I mean, Bob Dylan's amazing, but you wouldn't say he's an amazing vocalist, would you?
3: No, I think the thing that's amazing about him is he's a storyteller yeah. and he puts it across and there's something about the way he's, he, he puts it across that, that draws you in. I mean, uh, you know, there's a lot of artists like that, uh, that, you know, God, I could go on, you know, I'm not going to sit here and yeah do celebrity rate a record or something <laughs> like that, but
1: you know what I mean? But One thing I'd like to ask you being, you know, being a musician myself, I've been in touring bands most of my life, made a living at it for a long time, been around the business forever. I always like to ask musicians, the writing process, like before you guys are going to do the debut or even the second, third, fourth records, whatever, what is Poison's writing process? Do you guys all get together and jam it out? Or does somebody bring a song in? Like, how does it work for you guys?
3: You know what? Sometimes it's a little bit of the latter, but nine times out of 10, it is a garage band written song. Uh, We get together. Of course, somebody has a riff in their head. Or they might have an idea or, hey, I was like listening to this tune on the radio. What if we did that, but a little bit faster and like the guitar had like a change, whatever, you know what I mean? And it's like, yeah, yeah. And if everybody's picking up on the same page, it just comes together. You know, if the other person needs to be sort of talked into it or explained it to you kind of go, I'm going to sit back and let them kind of work it out for a minute. You know, I, I'm sure you've seen this process, but no, we don't sit in this room with like a drum machine and a a stack of magazines and pick out words and all that bullshit. I've, I've, I hear about this and it's like, I don't even understand that way of writing. Um, that's not me, man.
1: (laughs) So, uh, I wanted to ask you, this, this is kind of, we don't have to talk about it for a long time, but I was interested. Um, I, like many other people that watch reality TV, I got pretty hooked on Rock of Love when it was out. Right, right. I mean, I know you and Brett are great friends. You guys started the band together. You've known each other forever. What were your thoughts on that? Were you like, you know, gung-ho? Like, yeah, go Brett. Or were you kind of like, you know, oh, he's doing a TV show? Like, what were your thoughts about that? No,
3: I thought it was good that he was doing it. He actually brought, you know, a new audience to Poison, I think. Um, Some of it was just people that forgot about us. Some of it were new people. And so I think anytime you do that kind of stuff now, uh, the, 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 you know, the retaining those same people is a different story. Cause they didn't come to you for the music. Yeah. So they, you know, I don't know how much, re- how much you retain those people, but um, I mean, you know, we've been doing very well ever since we came back together in 2000 and started playing again. So that's almost nineteen years. You know, so it's like we had this. We've had this second career, literally, um, and that was right in the middle of it. Sort of. I, I'm not sure what year that was. 2012, something 14?
1: like that. I don't know. Yeah.
3: Um, but you know, it, it. The only thing I didn't like is it sort of took Brett in another direction for a while. Yeah. And it's like that's cool that you did that, but can we get back to this because this is who we are and that's who you are. Remember? Um, and I just feel like, um, I don't want to say he lost himself. I don't mean it meanly or anything like that, but you know, if I would have done TV and I would have had that same attention, it may have taken me in other directions as well for a while.
1: It's Um, it's always scary when somebody that's a part of like a bigger unit does something like that because yeah, like, you know, Hey man, you're a singer, you're in poison, like go do what you want, but you don't, Maybe. I mean, when I saw it, I mean, I thought, you know, he's a charismatic guy. It's it's a cool show. It's, it's entertaining. But in the back of my mind, being a music fan, I'm like, this is really cool, but I want you to make another Poison record.
3: <laughs> well, exactly. And, you know, hopefully we'll do that. I, I don't know that we'll make a full length album. I don't know how that'll work, but I, I do see new music in our future.
1: Well, that's cool. I, as
3: I, as, as I look at my crystal ball.
1: <laughs> awesome. Well, uh, before, before the last thing I always talk about on these podcasts are tour stories, and I'm sure you've got a lot. I've got some questions about that, but I do have some listener questions if you wouldn't mind me asking. Okay. Okay. So Mark from Australia, he wanted to know that he's heard you mention before in interviews about doing a no hits tour. What would be your three like deep cut songs that you would like to have in the set list for that? No hits tour.
3: Oh great, great question. I would do ball and chain for one thing. Uh Life loves a tragedy. And like as far as a ballad, I'd probably do Life Goes On because that was or Tell Me Why. So tell me why I thought was like <laughs> to me I thought that was pop perfection. Yeah. You know. <laughs> Um, but yeah, there's like four songs right there. I would love to
1: do. I think that'd be amazing. I love to have, you know, bands that I like, if they could go out and do a tour where it's the deep cuts, I, that would, I would love that. But I don't know if everybody would love that, but I'm a person that, I mean, most of the time the singles are great, but then you dig deeper into the record and you find stuff that you like a little bit better.
3: You know, I thought about just doing that with some guys because I don't know that poison's going to want to ever do that. Uh, I thought about just grabbing a bunch of guys and going and doing it. I, honestly. Well, Hey, if you
1: ever want to do it, hit, hit me up. If you need a guitarist <laughs> right on, Hey, never fucking know. It could be cool. Yeah, it would be awesome. Okay. So I've got one more listener question, David from California. He wants to know, uh, he, he said you're vegan. Is that correct?
3: I'm vegetarian. I can't claim to be a hundred percent. vegan. Well,
1: he wanted to know, you know, being on tour a lot where your favorite, you know, restaurants or cities are to eat on tour being, being vegan or vegetarian.
3: Well, you know what? The, the bigger cities are typically your better choices or your college towns. College towns uh, almost always have good, you know, um, options. Uh, but like I can always go into like a Olive Garden or something and get away with something in there. You know? Yeah, Totally. Um, so there's, there's some places I can just do that. But yeah, I always look forward to going in Chicago or New York or you know, those kind of places. But then there's these, like I said, these little off college towns that are really, really cool, too. <clears throat> and and what's cool is I I always have my motorcycle with me. So I find places and I'll just like go off, even if it's 45 minutes or an hour and a half away. It's like, so what? It's a day off. I'm going to go see the sites and go eat somewhere. It's like typically I wouldn't drive an hour and a half to go eat somewhere. But, you know. When you're on tour, you want to see stuff. So
1: And you gotta you gotta kill a lot of time beat on the road. People don't really understand that. It's not it's not a nonstop party. Maybe it was back in the eighties, but the tours that I've been on, there's a lot of downtime.
3: Well, yeah, definitely.
1: So speaking of tours, before I get into like asking you about stories and whatnot, are you guys when you do tours now or you know, in the recent recent past, are you guys on one bus? Are there multiple buses? Do you fly in? Like what's the situation there?
3: <clears throat> we do have multiple buses. We started that, uh, after, after the 20th anniversary tour, <clears throat> we're like, uh, we've done this for 20 years. Uh, even my own sister, I don't want to live with. Uh, so I definitely don't want to live with these guys every yeah. minute of the day. Um, and so, you know, touring now is way better than it was back in the day. I mean, sure. There was the nonstop party or whatever, but that, you know, um, you know, there was also, you know, it's, it's hard to say. There was a little bit of identity there. I mean, I just totally am comfortable with who I am. And, you know, I, I pull a trailer with some toys in it with my bike and some tools. And I just have a better time now. I, I really do.
1: And you could probably like bring your family out. I know you're a dad and whatnot. So it's probably nice to be able to have that luxury if they want to come out on the road with you, correct?
3: you know, the coolest thing in the world is having both my kids under my arms and looking out at the audience. And, and, th- and then I go out on the, on the stage or bring them out at the end of the night and do a bow with my kids. And they don't even know what the heck's going on. Sometimes the last time Jude came out with Cece's son, Balan, and they were out there flossing, you know, <laughs> it was like, that was their, that was their chance to like floss for the 15,000
1: people. So that's, that's amazing, man. <laughs> it's gotta be kind of, I've always, I ask people this all the time. Like I've had a lot of, like, I'm a dad, I've got two kids. I'm, I've actually, I've got almost a three-year-old and a one-year-old. So my life is pretty hectic, but I, I talked right yeah. Yeah, talk to uh, a lot of the guys that are on the show they are dads. And and I've always had this thing in my mind where, you know, how cool would it be? Or maybe it wouldn't be if that's all you've known, but you know, your dad is this guy that plays in front of thousands of people. Would you take it for granted or would you understand like the, how great, like the weight of that? Do you know what I mean? Well, I think Jude
3: is starting to get it. He's nine, he's almost 10. So he's starting to understand that a little bit and uh, uh, he needs to not abuse it um in any way shape or form yeah um so i i need to keep an eye on that lucy i don't think wraps her head around it at five um but um yeah it's interesting and it's like i remember tracy guns when we put together uh devil city angels we were sitting around a table and tracy goes we're a band of dads like all (laughs) of us are dads like that's the reality of it you know I was like, yeah, it's true. It's kind of funny.
1: Can you tell me a little bit about devil city angels a little bit? I, I I did some research on that too. I'd love to hear about you guys. Are you guys doing new stuff or, or what's the situation there?
3: You know what? I, I, it was one of the, uh, you know, basically the, you know, the cancer thing got in the way of that. Yeah. Um, but you know, we, we made, I think we made a really good record. Um, it was a really great lineup. Um, you know, Tracy and Eric, I've been friends with forever. And Brandon, I've been friends with since he was 15 years old. Um, it was a great lineup, really good band. Um, we were looking into uh, doing a new record deal out of Australia. And I think Brandon is just sort of going in a little bit of a different like country direction. And uh, so I'm left to whether I want to continue with that name or just do something else uh, <clears throat> unless uh, like he bumps his head again and, and realize, <laughs> you know, but you know, there's, you know, Tracy's with LA guns again and you know uh, and all that stuff. So I, I don't know if that band's going to see the light of day again or not. I wish we did. It was a really great band.
1: I know that you've done, you know, solo records as well. Is there anything on the horizon that we need to know about for like a solo record or anything that you're working on?
3: I don't have anything right now. I remember talking talking to Chuck Garrick, who did the first, who did the "Glitter for Your Soul" record with me. He's with Alice Cooper, and he's like, "Dude, let's do another one." Uh, this was last year at NAMM, and uh, he went out. Uh, wound up doing three Devil City Angels show with us later that year, last year. Um, and he was great fit for us, but he's busy with Bisto Blanco. He's busy with Alice Cooper. Uh, I wish I could uh, <laughs> wrangle him in. I don't even think I could get him to to come in and cut songs on a record right now. He's just so busy, but, um, who knows? Maybe I'll, you know, I I would love to do like this freaking glam extravaganza, like with dancers and multiple singers and everything. I think it'd it'd, it'd like take it to Vegas. I'm
1: not even kidding. I think that would, that would go over so well in Vegas. If you had like a, you know, like a a period like show kind of like from the eighties, like that whole heyday, people would buy tickets three years in advance. That would be amazing.
3: Well, you know, I talked to one promoter about it, and he was like, look, you know, we got raiding the rock bolt, and they're going through, like, four decades or five decades, and uh, there's times where they can't sell tickets. And I'm like, uh-uh, I think you're wrong. I think you need to do one decade. Yeah. It's just like, it's just like YouTube. You know, YouTube doesn't like people to do everything. They like people to do one thing really, really well. Um, that's what you search for. Hey, who is the guy that looks, that rates cameras the best? Who's the guy that rates skateboards the best? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, so it, it's really uh, a specialist. I mean, you know, we, we go to a doctor cause they're a specialist, you know, I'm a specialist in that kind of music. I, I could really bring it, I think.
1: Well, and I mean with, you know, your resume in the music industry and your friends that you have, that could be an amazing show. If guys just came in and guest appeared like once every month or something, different guys from different bands, then you, you need to do that. I think I'll be in the front row, man.
3: Dude, I I would love to do it. I would absolutely love to do it. I think something like that would be great.
1: Okay. So, uh, here's like, this show is all about touring. At least that's what it's supposed to be. There's tangents everywhere. I know you've done a lot of touring. Some people that I talk to, they prepare stuff. Some people just go off the cuff. Now, I know touring back in the 80s and 90s, and even you know up through today, you probably had some crazy things happen. Can you share anything with my listeners?
3: Um, well, I'm saving some of them for my book, you know. Okay,
1: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I understand. I understand.
3: Um, man, you know... Every day out there is crazy. Honestly, it is. And in some way, shape, or form. You know, I was just telling my girlfriend about this. I had her laughing really hard. Back in the early days, I had. We had like, we had the budget to get like one outfit. Okay. Okay. Like I had like one pair of pants, and I would like beg, borrow, or steal other shirts to wear with them. But I had this red pair of leather pants from, uh, I think I bought them in in Washington, D.C., right? At Commander Salamander or something like that. And I wore those freaking things out. And one night before we went on stage, I was trying to stretch and I ripped them right in the crotch, right? Yeah. So, of course, I throw duct tape. Now, the smart thing to do is pull your pants down, put the duct tape inside, and then on the outside. Yeah. But no, I just put it on the outside because I'm quickly trying to do it, and I don't have a lot of experience with this. No, I go out on stage. It separates a little bit. I push it back down. Yell at my tech, please, I need more tape. Tape it because literally my balls were almost hanging out. <laughs> I put this on and go through the whole show, and I, it keeps ripping. During, like, CC solo, I'm, like, taping my ass, like, just trying to hold it together, right? Yeah. I come off stage, and I couldn't get my pants off. <laughs> I mean, they were literally, like, my hair, everything. And we've got to meet, and back then, we had very small dressing rooms. So we have guests right there, like, literally, like, walk out with a towel on. Somebody's waiting there. Bobby Doll had to, like, it was, like, He volunteered. It was kind of like a band aid. You know, you got to just rip it off. Rip it right off. Ripped it off. My balls extended like a foot and a half. (laughs) I mean, like rubberized. Like, (laughs) it was so, it was hurt so bad. I was red for like two weeks. Jeez. I never, I was like wearing like MC Hammer pants for like, fucking a month after that. It was insane. Um, These are just the little things that nobody knows about. Like every day, you know, there's something, you know.
1: Did you guys do a lot of uh, touring overseas?
3: Oh, yeah, a lot at the beginning. uh, We, You know, our management was over there uh, at the beginning. um, And we tried to break Europe several times. Uh, I think we finally have done pretty well over there, but we just haven't been there in a while. Uh, I love going over there. You know, I'm mainly uh, of European descent. Um, so uh, it, it's pretty cool to to go to those countries uh, as it is. So, um, you know, I, yeah, we played all over.
1: Do you have any favorite, favorite countries that you've been to over there?
3: Uh, I love Italy. I think Italy's great. Um, I just like the people are so cool. I like playing South American countries like Brazil. Oh yeah, that's why I love training Brazilian jiu jitsu. That's where I just came from. Oh, awesome. As a matter of fact, <laughs> um, and, but I, I like it all. I mean, I you know I've been to Wales, which is I'm I'm a big part of my heritage as well. You know things like that. So it's really really cool.
1: Cool. Well, I'll tell you what, man, I've, I've loved having you on the show. I don't want to take up a lot more of your time. I would like uh, you to tell my listeners, I know you do the YouTube thing. And uh, could you give us a little bit of info on that? I know it's kind of like uh, your own channel and you just talk about all kinds of stuff, right?
3: Yeah, I mean, the main things that I cover are uh, motorcycle stuff. And once in a while, I'll veer off and I'll, uh, almost everything has a motorcycle as a background, but not always. Like the latest one I have, Uh, I talk about the cameras that I use. I did this crazy one where I shaved and uh, it was like fucking hilarious. Uh, But, um, you know, most of it is uh, uh, a lot of stuff that I do to my bikes and uh, reviewing things and clothes that I wear, helmets, all all those sorts of things. And it's just YouTube slash Ricky Rocket.
1: Cool. That's awesome, man.
3: It's called the Rocket Vlog.
1: Rocket Vlog. Do you have any other socials out there that people can find you, like Instagram or Facebook or anything?
3: Yes. Everything is slash Ricky Rocket. So Instagram slash Ricky Rocket, Facebook slash Ricky Rocket, um, you know, uh, Twitter slash Ricky Rocket. All of them are the same.
1: Awesome. Well, hey, man, I really appreciate you coming on the show today. And uh, if you decide to do, you know, a new solo record or something, I'd love to have you back. We can talk about it a little bit, okay?
3: That'd be great. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it.
1: Yeah, no problem, man. I'll send you a link when it's out and, uh, you have a great night and I hope you and your family continue to do well, man.
3: Thank you so much. You too.
1: Yep. Talk to you soon, man.
3: All right. Bye now.
1: So there it was, my conversation with Mr. Ricky Rocket from the band Poison. I had an amazing time talking to Ricky. I want you guys to go check out the Rocket vlog over on YouTube and hit him up on social media. He's a great guy and uh, he'd love to hear from you. That's going to do it for this week's installment of That One Time on Tour. I'm stoked that you guys checked this out. Hopefully if it was your first time listening, you enjoyed it. I didn't ramble too much. Make sure to come back next week when my guest will be Brandon Steinegert from Rancid and formerly of the Used. It's going to a great episode and I'm sure that you guys will enjoy it. So come back for that. That's about it for me. I'm going to get out of here. It's super late and I am ready to go to sleep. But before I go, I'm going to play you guys a poison song. I always play music at the end of these podcasts and it was hard for me to choose which poison song to play. Do I play a super like popular single? Do I do a deep cut? So I kind of went somewhere in between. The song I'm gonna play was a single off of Flesh and Blood back in 1990, but you know, it doesn't get the love that maybe an Every Rose Has Its Thorn gets. I'm gonna play a song called Something to Believe in. It's got some really cool piano parts, got a really great melodic solo by Cece. I think you guys are gonna enjoy that. So that's it for me. You know, hit me up on the gram, hit me up on the tweets, uh, check me out on Facebook at TOTOT Podcast. And if you got any questions or anything, t-o-t-o-t podcast at gmail.com. But I am out of here. This is Chris signing off. And here's poison with something to believe in.
2: Some say he was a good man Lord, I think he's sinning yeah, yeah, yeah. Twenty-two years of mental tears Christ's suicidal Vietnam down bed He fought a losing war on a foreign show To find his country and to want him back inside gone. I lord you cause why have this kids no regrets in time I don't remember in a war he can't forget he cried forgive me for what I' done there cause i never meant the things i did And give me something to even. There's a of above. I need someone to believe in. Oh, Lord above. My best friend died a lonely man in some Palm Springs hotel room. I got the call last Christmas Eve, and they told me the news. I tried all night not to break down and cry as. Roll down my face I felt so cold and empty but Like a lost soul out of place The broken old neon sign Used to read Jesus' name To believe in. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Ready for a head bangingly good time? Dive into the world of heavy metal with the Brutally Delicious Podcast. Here, we don't just talk music. We welcome you into our heavy metal family. Join us for candid chats with legends and rising stars. We go beyond the typical interviews, exploring raw emotions and the life-altering impact of heavy metal. So, whether you're a die-hard metalhead or just curious, join our family and let the headbanging begin with the brutally delicious podcast. <laughs>